It's now time for Talkin' Boxing with Billy C. It began as a podcast, went live on the net, and transformed into a full-blown empire. It's the only daily boxing talk show on the planet, hosted by the only guy with the balls to do it. Many have stepped into the ring. Many have tried to take the belt. And one by one, they've fallen. Another victim of the undisputed heavyweight champion of Boxing Talk Radio. Talking Boxing with Billy C is on now. My style is impetuous, my defense is impregnable, and I'm just ferocious, I want your heart. Live from the Billy C Studios in Lake George, New York. I'm Bill Calajaron. It's time for the Billy C Show. Good morning, good day, good evening. Whenever you're watching, whenever you're listening, I hope you're doing okay today. Today's show is being brought to us in part by Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria and Italian Restaurant located on St. Simon's Island in Georgia. Check out his website, www.salsneighborhoodpizzeria.com. Or give Sal a call, 912-268-2328, 912-268-2328. Go get an authentic Italian meal at Sal's Neighborhood Pizzeria, and the pizza is excellent. Today's show is also being brought to us in part by the Holiday Inn. That's right, any Holiday Inn property. If you're going to be traveling someplace uh, here in the U.S. of A., don't forget, stay at a Holiday Inn because you won't be disappointed. Oh, and I got some better news for you. We can get you a discount. That's right. Billy C. can get you a discount on any Holiday Inn property. Just use our toll-free number, 844-603-0364. That's 844-603-0364. Or do what I do. Visit my website, www.billycboxing.com, and click on the Holiday Inn banner. It's a lot easier. It uh, brings you right up. You can call. You can go online, whatever you want, and get yourself a discount. And today's show is also being brought to us in part by the Turning Zone Resort. Sorry, the Turning Stone Resort and Casino in Verona, New York, and their next boxing event, which is taking place uh, May twelfth, uh, will be a, a Saturday. Uh, it will be on HBO, and I will be ringside. So make sure you get yourself some tickets. Uh, we'll have the newest fight poster since the main event uh, has changed uh, opponent. Anyway, well, that'll be up on the website uh, hopefully by the end of today. Uh, so you could just go to our website, billycboxing.com, uh, and click on the banner. Or just go to turningstone.com uh, and get yourself some tickets. Make sure you let me know where you're going to be sitting because I'll come over and say hello. And finally, today's show is being brought to us in part by... My book, Tom Molino, From Bondage to Baddest Men on a Planet, is available right now where all good books are sold. And you can get a copy of this book right now while you're watching or listening to this show. Just visit barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. Find out why I'm so adamant about getting Tom Molino's story told. It's a good one, and uh, I'm sure you'll love it if you uh, read it. Um, coming up a little bit later on this show. We got uh, Boxing Hall of Famer Larry Hazard scheduled to join us. We'll get his thoughts on uh, some of the fights from this past weekend and uh, some other things that uh, we're going to throw up at him. <laughs> Not throw up. We're, that we're going to throw up all over him on. Um, also, today, 
uh, we got our blast from the past. Alex Papali will be stopping by and uh, telling us all about, as per a request from one of you guys, Vinny Pazienza, or how he's known now as Paz. He ch- legally changed his name. So uh, we'll talk about that. Um, I got some things to talk about today. Um, you know, uh, the significance of 50 and 0, uh, which uh, is kind of a joke. Um, because it deals with the heavyweight division and, and you know, uh, Mayweather was able to uh, capitalize on that and uh, uh, make a lot of young fans feel that he was the only one to reach 50 and 0. Uh, we'll talk about that. Um, I got some updates. I got the uh, Saddam Ali new opponent, uh, what had happened to uh, his old opponent, etc., etc. We'll talk about that. Uh, but first, I want to kick off the show. Tyson Fury. Um, you know, his return, he, he's obviously in sh- getting in shape. Uh, he is scheduled to return uh, in June, uh, June 9th to be specific. They have not announced an opponent yet for Tyson Fury. But Tyson Fury has been shooting off his mouth uh, saying that he could beat uh, both, uh, you know, Anthony Joshua and Deontay Wilder, uh, two fighters that uh, most people uh, on the planet feel are the best heavyweights in the world, uh, some uh, uh, have a difference of opinion on who's the best and who's the second best, but I think all boxing fans agree that uh, you know AJ and, and Deontay are the top two. Tyson Fury has stated uh, many many times that you know he's going to beat both of them and that he's the best. He's still relatively long, young. He retired undefeated, had some uh, issues. My question is: Is the return of Tyson Fury going to be? Beneficial is it gonna is it gonna be for the better for the heavyweight division or is it gonna be for the worse of the heavyweight division? Joining me right now to get his thoughts, uh, my man uh, Sal uh, Rocky Senecola and Sal. Uh, what's your thoughts? Do you think that the return of Tyson Fury will uh, help or hurt the sport of boxing? Wow, that's uh, something I really haven't considered, but uh, I think it could help. Uh, you know he's a fighter. Let's let's see him come back and fight and and get straightened out with uh, all of his uh, earlier uh, dismantling uh, reasons and everything else. If he can come back and get back on the horse and and ride, you know, let's see him in the mix. Certainly, uh, the heavyweight division could always use good talent. And uh, Tyson Fury, whether you like him or not, he's got some talent. He's got some ability, and he's got some uh, definite. Uh, uh, place in the boxing uh, uh, heavyweight division today. So let's see him straighten out, get climb up the ladder, and earn his way back into contention. And let's see what he could do against some of these big champs. And uh, if he can get in there and uh, just show us the stuff without the fluff. That's what I want. The stuff without the fluff. Tyson Fury uh, has never been short of words uh you know he's a uh, uh he's uh, a, a talker um now i was a big fan of tyson fury I, I really was my my man uh thomas um hooked me up with uh tyson fury uh, my, my f- uh, good friend and listener of this show thomas newman uh years and years ago uh had uh, turned me on you know we've always had a big um you know, uh, UK uh, fan base for the show. We we are in our fifteenth year, and we we've had quite quite success over on the other side of the pond. And Thomas was one of these guys that said to me a long time ago, "Hey, have you ever heard of this six foot nine heavyweight 
uh, Tyson Fury. And at the time, I hadn't. And he sent me a link. And it was Tyson Fury's, I believe, second or third fight. And I watched every single fight since then. Now, early in his career, he had some exciting fights. Uh, I loved uh, the fight uh, with uh, Martin Rogan and uh, uh, also even uh, Nevin Pykic, even though it only lasted three rounds. Uh, but, but when you take a look at Tyson Fury and you take a look at his accomplishments, Sal, really, I mean, right now he's 25-0 and 0 with 18 knockouts. Uh, he's only fought 146 rounds in those 25 uh, fights. He's still a young guy. He's not 30 years old yet. He will turn 30 in August. Um, but as far as significant wins, when we really dissect and when we give the, the you know, uh, when, we, when we don't give credit to guys like Deontay Wilder and, and Anthony Joshua, for the list of names on their resumes, and people say, ah, they haven't fought this guy, they haven't fought that guy. Well, you look at Tyson Fury's record, and you could say the same thing. I mean, he fought Derek Chisora twice. We've learned that Chisora basically is just a, a tough guy. He's, he fought a Steve Cunningham, who uh, moved up from cruiserweight to fight him. Um, you know, his biggest win is Vladimir Klitschko, when he beat Klitschko in, in 2015. By the time he steps in the ring, it will almost be three years um, since his last fight. So how good is he? Well, that's the whole thing. You know, three years off, okay, he's a young guy. Uh, at 30 years old in heavyweight division, by today's standards, that's fairly a young career. Um, I think he has enough time and he has enough uh, um, experience, certainly put it together. I hope that he's going to be well coached. I hope that uh, they, they teach him how to say the right things and, and uh, the just train and to dig deep and to see what he could do to get back onto the scene. But uh, less talk, more action. Just let his let his uh, victories, you know. He he didn't have all that impressive a resume, as you suggested. And, uh, you know, does that uh, is that his complete fault? No, not really. There's the thinning of the talent out there in the boxing world, you know. There's the cream that rises to the top, but sometimes you get to the top, it's not uh, going through the the other cream, you know. It's it's uh, it's uh, by hook or crook, and you put it together, and you have some talent behind you, and you have some people promoting you and and, and paying for you, and uh, you find yourself uh, on top of the world. But uh, if you can stay there and sustain it, hey, all that power to you. That's the whole thing. Bring the horse to the water, but the horse has to drink. You know, it, it's not fair to do what I'm gonna do. But oh, it is boy. what it is. Um, when you look at Tyson Fury, now remember, his last fight was Vladimir Klitschko in 2015. A long time ago, Bill. And, and since that fight, Vladimir Klitschko fought Anthony Joshua, right? So we're talking a long time ago. But when yeah. you look at his resume, Christian Hammer he beat, um, who we've learned is is really not that great. Derek Chisora, like I said, Joey Abel. Kevin Johnson. Now, Kevin Johnson I give credit for because Kevin Johnson was was good when he fought uh, Tyson Fury. His record at, uh, at that time, 28-2-1, and, and went the distance with Tyson Fury. But Vinny Madalone, Martin Rogan, Pykic, Nevin Pykic, Nikolai These Further. These are all good names, big names. No, big names. But, but they're all just tough guy <laughs> names. Teased, you know I'm what teased. I'm saying? Zach Page was, was a tough guy. Um, but, again, you know, Richard Power, uh, tough guy. Uh, John McDermott, all, all these guys, tough guys, but, um, you know, not 
world class. Now, now let's be real. He can only be criticized for for not fighting anyone that was available to him at, during his time, Absolutely. and he seemingly has fought them. Now, for Tyson Fury, Sal, he's a guy six foot nine. Okay, um, but I don't think that he possesses the punching power that I would think a six foot nine man could possess. Now, I felt the same way. Uh, about uh, uh, Nikolai, uh, uh, what, what was his name? Who's the giant? Uh, Nikolai, um, uh, oh, God, I can't think of his name. Uh, hopefully, Coach will hang. Uh, um, Seth uh, goes chipping. Yeah, hope, hopefully, Coach will hang. Um, what, what was his name? Big giant uh, guy, WBA champion. Anyway, um, actually, I'll tell you who it is in, in one second. Now, now it, it's got me. Now it's uh, got you going. Yeah, Bill. yeah. But uh, but I, I'll be able to uh, uh, to find uh, him right now because I, I can't believe I can't believe I uh, forgot that name. But uh, let's uh, let's let's see. Anyway, Sal, his his punching power didn't seem, um, you know, that it was, um, uh, you know, as good. Nikolai Valuev, Valuev. Yes. Uh, and at the same time, I said it. My, uh, uh, my man Alex has, has got my back in the chat room. I couldn't think of Nikolai's last name, he, and, and I actually met him in Denmark. He filled up. He had to travel in the uh, service elevator because he was so big. But anyway, um, similar to Nikolai Valuev, Tyson Fury, being such a big guy, didn't have that devastating knockout punch, in my opinion. You know, when you look at Anthony Joshua or Deontay Wilder, they possess that. Do you think it's important for a heavyweight to have that one-punch knockout power? Oh, I think, you know, you look at some of the most successful heavyweights that are, or, you know, from the generations before, you know, Marciano first uh, comes to the top, of course. Uh, he he won many of his fights, 43 out of the 49, actually, by his tremendous punching power. Uh, Joe Lewis, same thing. He had a punch that would lay you flat and... Uh, you know, so a heavyweight, you would assume, could have a, a punch that will put you horizontal. Uh, but not all the time. You know, there's a lot of fighters that, that had success just with finesse and the ability to outbox and to land the effective punches when they had to to score. You can hurt your opponent, but you don't have to lay him out. So, you know, I, I think in Tyson Fury's case, no, he's a big, big guy. And, yes, uh, as far as relevance, uh, his punching power and not being top-notch, uh, he still can do some damage. He is a big guy, and I'm sure he'll get the attention of many people that his, uh, are on the receiving end of his punch. Uh, he doesn't have to be a one-punch uh, knockout artist. He can get away with uh, uh, stunning or hurting some people, getting their attention and outboxing them if that's really what you know he, his intent is. So I, I think it's, oh, it's great. It's always good to have that one punch, but uh, you, know, you can win in other ways than one punch. He had a jab that, and I say had, because we haven't seen what, what he's done lately, so you know, I'm assuming he's, exactly. he's going to— Three years, he, a long time. Yeah. But uh, he had a jab that, because he was used to fighting such shorter guys, I mean, six foot nine, there's not many— Many guys you're nose to nose with, but uh, he he would deliver his punch, his jab, kind of in an upward motion, where it would be coming from his waist, and then he would kind of slap it out there. And I always said, yeah, that's gonna hurt him if he ever starts fighting bigger guys. And it seemed that he developed a more straight on jab, but then that was it. He did a lot of leaning on people. He did a lot of tying up on people. 
Um, it would be interesting to see him uh, fight one of the big guys uh, in the division right now. And I say big guys meaning the top two, uh, AJ and Deontay. Um, now, Tyson Fury, never short for words, um, made a comment uh, yesterday concerning the alleged offer from Deontay Wilder to Anthony Joshua, the $50 million offer that uh, Team Wilder, or let me just say Deontay Wilder made, and the uh, very unorthodox uh, demand of Anthony Joshua r responding to it prior to any contract or, or even uh, stipulations of the contract uh, were laid out. But nonetheless, Tyson Fury said, it's a lot of money if it's a genuine offer, which I believe it is, then how much do they want? How greedy can AJ be? 50 million isn't good enough? Well, good luck to him. I hope he gets 250 million. I don't know what's going on. We're prize fighters. We box for free once upon a time. I'm sure it's not just about the money. Um, now, I don't know if this comment means that you know, Josh, uh, that Tyson Fury is just trying to stay relevant, or if he believes, truly believes that the offer was legit and he's saying that it means other things, it's not just about the money, is that suggesting that he thinks that AJ is, is acting like he's nervous to fight Deontay? I mean, what do you read between the lines with, with the comments from uh, Tyson Fury? Well, that's just it. Is is is. is... Are the words from Tyson Fury relevant, and how serious could we take them? Uh, I I would think that it's not just about the money. It could mean one of two things. One, as you suggested, that maybe Anthony Joshua might not really want to fight at Deontay Wilder because he does, you know, respect that right hand and knows that it's going to hurt if he gets it on the receiving end. Or that hey, this is a sport of boxing. This is the World Heavyweight Championship title. This is the unification of those championship belts. It's not just all about the money. It's bigger than just money. So that's how I would want it. If those words left my lips, what, what I would want it to mean. Not that it's just not about the money because uh, you want to hide in the corner and wait until all the storm passes. So uh, I, I think it's more predicated on you know the fact of being that, hey, the heavyweight championship belt of the world is one of the most coveted titles one one man can wear around his waist, even though there's five or six different divisions now. You know, it used to be right. Um, <laughs> you know, the, the 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 thing is, is you know, what, what bothers me about boxing, I guess you can't really correct it, but the whole the whole option of picking who you want to fight i i, I mean you know you suggest you you obviously you think deontay wilder can beat aj and you you know you make the the statement well you know maybe he's he's nervous of that power in the right hand um which you know is a legitimate concern well deontay wilder has <laughs> freakish punching power i mean you can't deny that uh but but what if other sports were in a position to pick and choose who they played or or you know competed against it wouldn't work why is no, boxing why is boxing allowed to do that you know in other words in, in football if uh my hapless jets decided that they only wanted to play the cincinnati Bengals, or you know they were scheduled to play you know the big tough new england patriots and they said eh, you know what we're going to let this game marinate a little bit we're, we're not going to play new england right now let's 
let's wait. Maybe next season we'll we'll play them, or better yet, maybe maybe we'll let it marinate for a couple of seasons and play them. You know, three years from now. I, I mean, it, fans would look at you like you're nuts. You know, I, you know, boxing gets to do it, and it's a shame because. Uh, you know, you have these fights, and, and, and we don't even know if Tyson Fury is going to be in the mix. Who knows who he, he's going to fight uh, in his first fights back? Well, obviously, we can't expect him to go after a top-notch guy, a very top, top-notch guy. But, uh, you know, making the statements that he is, you would think that he's going to fight someone that's fairly decent, don't you think? Yeah, I would think that he's got to fight someone with a, a, a some some recognition, some known name, and uh, some entity that's been in the mix. Uh, I'm not suggesting that he jumps into the top ten, but yeah, I would think maybe the bottom tier of the top ten, somebody there. Uh, I, I think he should be able to uh, uh, exhibit some good boxing skills and coming back, but he do have a three year. Uh, rest period that uh, you know I'm sure he's going to want to work off some of that rust so he's going to probably get an opponent that's going to be durable that's going to have uh, the ability to you know to uh, hey the opponent the other the heavyweight we saw the other night he was a good punching bag um, so <laughs> I don't know maybe he'll fight him um, he needs somebody that he can have a good night of work and uh, look good but yet won't be uh, in harm's way. And it's it's a shame because, you know, that's what we're talking about, tailoring fights made for other fighters and, uh, you know, showcasing them. And But that's the kind of fight that Tyson Fury is going to have to come back to. You know, bottom line, I think that uh, Tyson Fury is good for the heavyweight division only because it's another known name who's still in his prime. A, a lot of times we'll see a promoter, uh, with what I call retread fighters, you know, taking a, a fighter that's past uh, his prime and, and putting him in because people have heard of him. And it, you know, takes the pressure off of the promoter, you know, to uh, promote. Uh, Tyson Fury is one of those kinds of guys. Plus, he, he's, he's just going to turn 30. So um, I think he's good for the heavyweight division. Hey, listen, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, how significant was Floyd Mayweather's 50-0 and win, it, it, considering the division he fought. Yes, he was able to bamboozle uh, a lot of boxing fans to think that he accomplished this great feat, but did he? We'll talk about that in about two. Billy C. will be right back. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. That's my face. I hate you. I hate you. That's com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us. Don't forget, coming up uh, in about 15 minutes, we've got Larry Hazard scheduled to join us. And then our blast from the past this weekend, uh, this week, I should say, uh, Vinny Paz. But, uh, you know, uh, Sal, Floyd Mayweather made a big deal of uh, reaching 49-0 and then 15-0. And you and I have talked about uh, this many, many times on the show that the 15-0 record, or specifically 49-0, uh, was really only 
pertain to the heavyweight division. And, and Rocky Marciano uh, retired as a world heavyweight champion at 49-0. and The closest uh, guy to come to him was Larry Holmes uh, before losing to Michael Spinks. And really the only fighter that is active today that has a legitimate shot at tying or even breaking that significant heavyweight 49-0 and record is Deontay Wilder. But yesterday, a fighter has uh, gotten to 50-0, and 0, uh, so is in the same discussion as Floyd Mayweather, uh, WBC minimum weight or uh, strawweight world champion uh, Wang Hang Menoyothan, uh, became the guy to uh, become 50 and 0 as a world champion in uh, 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 yesterday uh, in uh, uh, someplace Rajachaz. I don't even know this country. R a t c h a s i m a Rat Chasmia. Um, he improved to 50 and 0 with 18 knockouts. He scored a fifth round knockout over Leroy Estrada. Uh, to become 50 and oh and the funny thing i i notice about this is that you know people are comparing him with floyd mayweather like floyd mayweather is the only guy to reach 50 and oh and and let me just say you know the significance of 50 and oh obviously pertains to heavyweight division but the other asterisk next to 50 and oh is to retire at 50 and 0. Many fighters have surpassed 50 and 0. For all the young boxing fans out there, you got to understand, you know, uh Fayweather wasn't the first guy to get to 50 and 0. Many fighters, uh you know, Jimmy Barry, uh, a Hall of Famer, retired undefeated at 59 and 0 with 9 draws. That's undefeated, 59 and 0. I mean, you know, um, Julio Cesar Chavez fought and won 80 fights before losing for the first time. fights. Jimmy Wilde, uh, I don't know how many fights he fought before losing his first time, at least 80 or 90. Ricardo Lopez retired uh, at, uh, I believe, 51-0 and 0 with a draw. Um, you know, I, I mean, a lot of fighters, Sal, uh, have reached that plateau, but only the heavyweight division is the one that that you know you could uh, you, you could accomplish something. And the guy that can do that right now, uh, theoretically, is Deontay Wilder. What's your thoughts that um, Wang Hang uh, made it to fifty and zero, and should he get the recognition? I mean, Floyd Mayweather made such a big deal about it, and when I talk to young fans, they make it seem like nobody else reached fifty and zero. Well, that's how it was carved out, and that's how it was showcased. That's how it was presented by Floyd Mayweather, and there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, 50-0 is a great accomplishment. Uh, my hat's off to him. My my hat's off to this latest gentleman. I mean, there's nothing to be shy about, and you, you reach the status of 50-0 and in professional boxing. That is a great accomplishment, and it should be touted. You should have the pats on the back. You should be recognized, and that is a great feat. However, we are talking generations ago, and we are talking about the world professional boxing world heavyweight championship belt. Now, there was once upon a time where that title or holding that belt was one of the world's most prestigious and, and coveted titles one man in the whole universe could ever wear. 
you recognize as the world heavyweight champion. Not splice dice and, and trice uh, with, the, with the different divisions that are belted, the sanctioning bodies, but when you were the world heavyweight champion and you retired with a record of 49 wins, zero defeats, and 43 KOs as the world heavyweight champion, the most coveted title you could walk around with in the world of sports history at that time, then you know what? It's a big deal. And Rocky Marciano was the man that did it. In the sports, uh, in the world of sports, it's uh, it's it's a big. And but as a heavyweight, or as the heavyweight division goes, there are very very few fighters that have reached that status of 40 and 0, let alone 49 wins and zero defeats. And as we know, Rocky Marciano is the only one right now. Deontay Wilder, as you said, yes, he is on the pathway to uh, to meet and possibly beat that standing record. Time will tell. The next couple of years are critical for that. And if that's a goal of his, then we're going to see. But the bottom line is that is only predicated on the heavyweight championship division, the heavyweight belt, and it shouldn't be uh, diced, triced, and, and, and uh, spliced for any other division. It's, it's the world heavyweight coveted belt, that division only. Yeah, it's the only one with the uh, significance. But, well, uh, the significance. And like I said, you, you, Bill, you and I growing up, when you represented or there was a world champion, a heavyweight world champion, I mean, the the connotation or, or the, the aura behind being a world heavyweight champion almost signified saying, well, this was the baddest man on the planet. He could beat everybody in every division and everywhere else, and, and this is the World Heavyweight Championship belt, the most coveted title. That means there's no other person on earth that could beat this one man standing. I mean, that's the old way we used to think, or that was old, always presented, or the aura behind the World Heavyweight Championship belt. That's, that's the way, growing up, that we were bred into believing. So, you know, like I said, the, the 49 wins, zero defeats, at 43 KOs, that stands alone as an accomplishment in the heavyweight division, and that's how we should look at it in the heavyweight division, which was once the most prized possession or title that you could wear uh, around your waist in the world of sports history. Speaking of titles, uh, the current uh, WBO junior middleweight champion is Saddam Ali. Um, he's fighting May 12th at the Turning Stone Resort and Casino. Uh, up in uh, Verona, New York. And I'm going to be uh, ringside for that. Now, um, Liam Smith, who is ranked number one in the world by the WBO, was the original opponent for this fight, which was a good fight. Uh, but apparently, uh, Smith had to pull out. He's been sick and uh, announced uh, uh, you know, over the weekend that he had to pull out of the fight. Um, this was... Uh, a HBO, it still is an HBO televised uh, card. It was the main event, blah, blah, blah. Um, well, they quickly found another opponent. And um, Saddam Ali, who's uh, ranked number four in the world as a junior middleweight by the computer, 26-1 and one with 14 knockouts. His one loss, he was stopped. Who's he fighting? He's fighting the undefeated 28-0, 24-by-knockouts, uh, Jamie uh, Mugaya, uh, and Mugaya was the same guy who the the uh, Nevada State Athletic Commission said no to 
as a potential opponent for for Triple G. Now, uh, Mungaya is a, is a guy that uh, fights n- normally in the junior middleweight division, so it seems like maybe this opponent uh, is going to be equal to or should be on paper to uh, Liam Smith. We won't know until uh, uh, the fight goes on. But I like the opponent. Uh, He was uh, uh, in the gym. He wouldn't have been considered for Triple G if he wasn't. So this is a guy that's in shape. He is undefeated, 24 of his 28 wins by knockout. And he's uh, ranked by the WBO at number four. And the uh, uh, WBC at number seven. Now, where does he fit as far as the computer rankings go, well, he's ranked at number 17. Saddam Ali ranked number four. So we'll see what happens. But that's going to be taking place on May 12th uh, at the Turning Stone. And another funny thing about the computer rankings, Sal, um, you know, I, I'm starting to do uh, some research for the breakdowns and predictions of the fights for this weekend. And Triple G, as you know, is fighting this weekend. Do you know that the computer has him ranked as as middleweight? number two do, do, do you know that he's not even ranked number one and and who do you suppose is ranked at number one in the world by the computer at middleweight wow wow oh uh, gosh it, it can't be canelo it is canelo it's no canelo way. come on it's, i was just making it, a it, stab at that and you want to hear something stupid about that canelo never really fought uh, well, uh, uh, well, he did. He he had the, he had the linear championship, and he did win. But remember, he was the guy that was fighting at 155. Remember, they were calling him the 155 pound. He wasn't even letting uh, middleweights come in at the same uh, at the same weight. I have one other thing I wanted to to mention real quick before we uh, uh, have to put you on hold for a little bit. But uh, Clarissa Shields. Now, I, I I was very active in the female boxing world. Um, you know, uh, I worked with Chevelle Hallback. Uh, together, we we won uh, multiple uh, world championships in in, in uh, different divisions, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Had a very great run, and uh, love her as a person. Uh, she's she's, uh, she's great. Okay, um, but since uh, her retirement, and she does she is talking about a comeback. I haven't really been too impressed with the female. Uh, boxing uh, arena. And the reason is uh, when Chevelle was fighting, they all fought each other. Now they, they pick and choose. Well, here's a great example. Clarissa Shields, who many think is one of the best fighters, two-time gold um, Olympic winner, can't take anything away. She is fighting um, against another champion. Now, Clarissa Shields uh, is uh, uh, currently the WBC and IBF world super middleweight champion. Okay, 168 pounds. She's going to be fighting the WBA and WBO junior middleweight champion, Hannah Gabriels, uh, for uh, they're both going to be fighting for the vacant IBF and WBA middleweight titles. He, here's my problem. Here we have Clarissa Shields, who's a, who's a big money type fighter, going up, up against another uh, world champion who's two weight classes smaller, and they're fighting in the middle. You could make the statement that says, well, they're both fighting uh, at, a, at a middle weight, but it, it, Clarissa Shields is still going to be bigger. My, it's a typical problem with the sport of boxing. It's, it's billed as two fighter, two world champions unifying, but one champion 
is uh, got an edge and a significant edge. We're talking about a 14-pound swing from their normal fighting weights. Um, you know, for a middleweight title, which is a class in between. But who truly has the edge here? And once again, we have a, a, a marquee fighter fighting someone that's much smaller than them. I, I, that's one of my big problems with the sport today, Sal. I, I wish that more fighters would fight people their own size. Well, again, you know, you, you hit a sensitive subject with me, too, because... I, I'm not a big fan of the day before weigh-ins because by the time fight night comes up, up around, you know, you could have a 20-pound difference in the two fights fighters entering the ring for the same weight class. So, you know, it's it's uh, it's a little disheartening on that level. And not only, I like, not only that, it's dangerous. It, it, well, it, it it's is a safety issue. And see, you know, all the feel-good police that, that, that try to look over at things, uh, uh, what's going to be in a – fighters or or anyone's best interest that's what they always do they try to step in and curtail the rules and regulations like i'm a big believer in you know the boxing uh 15 rounds uh designates uh the championship rounds you know you you have round 13 14 15 many of the decisions that we go to the cards and look at would never have uh been uh having to looked at because we would have seen the definitive rounds of the championship round 13, 14, and 15 tell the clear sign of who is going to be the champion of that 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 belt at that time because yeah. those were the championship rounds. You yeah. either make it or break it. Yeah, no, no. Not all the time. I, we, we missed those 15 rounds. Listen, we got to take a break. We're two minutes over. Sal, oh, we'll kick you to the curb. We'll be back to Sal in a little bit. Coming up next, we're scheduled to have uh, Larry Hazard. Don't go anywhere. Billy will be right back. Hey, fight fans, check out KOFantasyBoxing.com. KO Fantasy Boxing is boxing's only trademarked fantasy game. Check it out, www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. Select your own gym, your own fighters, track them through a season that can last from three months to a year, depending upon which league you join. You got to check this out, man, www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. Join it today. Again, www.KOFantasyBoxing.com. And tell them Billy C sent ya. The one, the only, Don King. Makes me feel good, Billy, to have you, the number one show in the country, talking boxing with Billy. So I invite each and every American that's listening to this great show to tune in. We want you to be there with Billy and me. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C, the only radio host man enough to take a punch from Mike Tyson. Wait a minute, man. Hold, hold, hold on there. Jeremy, man, uh, I need you to take this one, all right? Wait, what? What? No way. I, I, I can't do this. Need I remind you I'm Billy C., damn it? Now put on that mustache and get in there. Hey, hey, look at me. I'm Billy C. <laughs> Crap. Undisputed heavyweight champion of boxing talk radio. It's talking boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us and uh, with us right now, uh, my man. Uh, Larry Hazard. Good morning, Larry. What's up, Billy? Eh, not too much, my man. Uh, not too much. 
finally uh, we got a break in weather. You know, it, it, there's no more seasons anymore. It goes from, you know, snow to 90 degrees. Uh, you know, what, what happened? Didn't we, we used to have, you know. Back, and then back to snow. Exactly, exactly. The only things that can live in this are ticks, <laughs> you know. Uh, this past weekend, a uh, couple fights I want to talk to you about. Uh, first and foremost, uh, Daniel Jacobs against uh, uh, Solinsky. Uh, I learned that uh, the uh, Polish uh, names have silent N's and S's in them, which uh, blew my mind. I thought it was, I thought it was Saluki, but uh, Solinsky is how they were pronouncing it. Uh, Daniel Jacobs... Uh, uh, what was your thoughts of his performance? Give me your uh, uh, thoughts first. Well, I thought it was kind of lackluster, but I'll give him a pass on that. You know, he's been a little inactive. Um, you know, I like Jacobs. And I always feel that sometimes even your very best fighters, they often fight to the level of the competition. And... Uh, I kind of think that that was the case uh, with Jacobs in that fight. That, I mean, the fight was competitive. It wasn't. It wasn't very boring. But uh, you know, Jacobs wasn't the Jacobs that I'm used to looking looking at. But I don't take anything away from him. I just think that he was just fighting to the to the level of the competition in front of him. He won. Uh, he won handily. Well, that's all that counts. He got the W. Do you think that that um, really that's all that counts today? Like a guy like Daniel Jacobs, who you could make a strong case uh, could be, you know, if not the top middleweight out there, at least in the top three or four. Uh, in order to maintain that, does he have to always go out there and? You know, like uh, Triple G would say, have a big drama show, uh, or does he get a pass by just, you know, uh, being methodical? And that's what he seemed a little bit like. I mean, I thought it was an exciting fight, I, and that was because of Solinsky. I thought that he, um, you know, put on a, a better performance than I thought he would. But is that what you're thinking about Jacobs, that, you know, he gets the pass because strictly of, of who he was in there with and, and you know, did he lose any value after that fight? I, I, I don't I don't really think so. I mean, you know, when you really know or you think you know the sport, um, of course it's very competitive. You have to you have to always go out and satisfy your fans. But I think that um with all that Jacobs has been through and the fact that he does represent the sport well. He's not one of these guys that's always yapping off and talking a lot of trash. Um, he's dedicated to the sport. Uh, I think he's a good example of uh, what, what we like to see in a fighter. And he fights when he has to really fight. Uh, I think he, I think that he deserves, you know, a pass on that one. Uh, I don't think that he can sit back on his laurels now and just feel that he can turn in uh, less than stellar perf uh, performances and still have the market value, you know, uh, that would be a mistake. But I think that, you know, in his next fight, depending on who they put in front of him, you'll see a different Daniel Jacobs. But even if, um, you know, even if the competition is not up, up to the highest level, he has to keep in mind that the fans do expect him, 
you know, to turn in that stellar performance in order to keep his value up there. So I don't have no doubt that he will do that. No, I really don't. You know, so I, I give him a pass on that one. You know, I've, I've been very critical of his trainer uh, over the last couple of years, Andre Rozier, um, not just with Daniel Jacobs, but with other fighters. I mean, this was a guy that, you know, seemed like he was a Zen master, you know, like he'd always be uh, like the psychiatrist in the corner. And I never really heard him give constructive, um, you know, instruction, you know, I, I, never, you know. But this past weekend, I noticed a change in Andre Rozier, and, and I think it was for the better. I, I think he finally learned how to combine his psychiatry with, you know, constructive instruction. And I think that he was doing it. And the one thing I, I, I picked up on too, Larry, and um, I, I thought it was a, a, a good thing, was that, you know, he in between one round, I don't remember which round, they all seem the same to me, but in between one of the rounds, uh, he goes, Jacobs goes back to the corner, and Rosia, you know, was having him, you know, take a deep breath, whatever, and then said something to him, and Daniel Jacobs actually responded with what Rosia was about to tell him to do. And I thought that that was good, that they were actually not only on the same page, but it seemed like they were on the same wavelength. I think that this is going to help Andre Rosier, uh, not only with Daniel Jacobs, but with his other fighters, you know. Um, sometimes these guys try to be more than what they are, right? Well, I noticed the same thing, and I, and I was kind of thinking that uh, maybe he's listening to some of, of your criticisms and the criticism of others. I kind of thought that Andre in the past was a little bit too philosophical uh, in, in the corner, and, he, you know, uh, it's all right to be philosophical, but you, you know, you got to get right back down. You got to get right back down to the nitty gritty with these fighters, man. I mean, you know, you got to really sometimes really uh, pep these guys up and and uh, remind them of the urgency of the moment and keep that pressure on them while you're still giving them the... Um, instructions and the game plan that's necessary to win the strategy and that strategy oftentimes changes from round to round so I think that Andre has shown did show some improvement uh, in this particular fight because I think that he's aware also of that of that as I say that market value I think he's you know he's a fight guy and he's a he's an intelligent fight guy, and I think that he's cognizant of those uh, issues that we talked about earlier in terms of you can't let a fighter get too relaxed by just winning, you know, because uh, he will lose his value. So I think, uh, to, to Andre's credit, um, he put in a, for lack of a better term, a better performance as a corner man. So that, that was uh, enlightening to see. You know, it, it always it reminds. I just had a flashback of of Teddy Atlas and Timothy Bradley. What's a fireman do? What does a fireman do? What does a fireman do? And Timothy Bradley's like, uh, put out fires. Uh, you know, I mean, sometimes they're not thinking what the point is. But uh, anyway, uh, the uh, co-main event, the heavyweight fight, Jarrell Miller. Um, no res disrespect to Jarrell Miller. First of all, I, I was one of many who was getting on him about being 304 pounds. 
Um, but I will admit that Jarrell Miller didn't really look and move like a 304-pounder. He does kind of move around uh, well, but but let, let's be real. He was in there with Johan Duapaz. Duapaz is slow, methodical, has very little power, but can take a severe beating like he took again on uh, on Saturday night. I just can't see why anyone thinks that Jarrell Miller is a legitimate uh, contender. I, I can't even fathom him complaining that he hasn't gotten a world title shot yet. This is the problem I have with the sport, Larry, that a guy like Jarrell Miller can fight the level of opposition that he has for 21 fights and be in a position to get a world title shot, and it ruins that drive for a young fighter who's in the gym working his butt off and, and trying to climb the ladder and not getting the opportunity when a guy like Miller does. What was your thoughts on his performance? And overall, is do you think he's that good? Uh, not really. Not really. But, uh, you know, you get that. You get that due to, um, for a while, the lack of talent that was in the heavyweight division. You know, the heavyweights are always um, the premier weight class. And, 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 and on top of that, Jamel, a big baby, uh, you know, he used to be a kickboxer, you know. Fought, fought here in uh, New Jersey several times uh, when he was kickboxing, okay? And, um, you know, I, I, don't, I don't see him. How, how does he get in line or how is he mentioned in the conversation uh, as an opponent for Joshua? you know, at, at this point. And I thought that he was, even though coming in over 300 pounds didn't seem to hamper him that much in this fight, uh, I don't see him being that competitive against Wilder, against uh, Tyson Fury, or any of those guys up there, or uh, certainly not Joshua, you know. But it is what it is. And, um, you know, now he's... Uh, you know, he's kind of beating the drums uh, to fight Joshua. And, uh, you know, uh, before long, people are going to buy into it, I guess. But, I, you know, there's only one heavyweight fight that I want to see right now, and that's Joshua and Wilder. And guys like um, Jarrell Miller, you know, they'll just have to wait their turn. But I, I don't think that he's, he's qualified to be in that class right now. No. Uh, uh, the best fight of the weekend, in my opinion, was uh, Isaac Dog Bay beating Jesse Magladeno in what was... I was there, uh, by, I was there by the way. The, uh, Larry, that was a thrilling fight. Edgy as see kind of a fight. I mean, you see the the rawness of Dog Bay uh, going at it, uh, take, doing what he does best, volume, taking the chances. And then Magladeno doing... I don't know what he was doing. I, I don't know why when he was hurt, where he couldn't even throw a punch, why he's egging uh, Dog Bay on. Or, at the end of the fight and at the end of that night, all I th could think of was that there's a new guy in town to keep an eye on, and that's Isaac Dog Bay. What was your thoughts of the, the oh, fight and the kid? Hey, I, I'm telling you, I was there. I was I was over in Philly um, at the Lee Accord Center because I was um, – you know, for for the kid, um, Shakur Stevens, he was, to be that close, I figured I'd drive over and take a look. 
Um, but this kid, that was the most exciting fight on that card with that dog bait. And he reminded me of Mike McCallum. You remember him? Oh, the body snatcher, sure. Oh, my gosh. And um, this this kid really showed me something. You know, the guts. He was, in my opinion, he was losing the fight. Okay? And uh, he got off the canvas. And, uh, oh, man, he turned in quite a performance. at the body shots. And, um, you know, I, I think he's I think he's got something that uh, we can look forward to in the future. I, I think we see a star on the horizon here. And um, I thought he turned in a terrific performance. And uh, I look forward to seeing more of him in the future. But it was a terrific fight. I, I hope we get to see a lot more of him. And the sad truth is he probably got paid zip for this fight. And you watch, he's going to want to make a defense pretty quick so he can finally get a payday, you know. But uh, the, the, the co-main... Um, with Brian Jennings and, and Joey, Joey Duwedgeco, you know, I, I used to be a big fan of Jennings, and I used to always look at him as a combination of, of uh, you know, Evander Holyfield and, and Michael Spinks. He fought awkwardly. Really? Well, he fought awkwardly like Spinks. No, no, I, I'm not suggesting he was as good as either of those, but I mean his style in the ring. You remember how... But Michael Spinks, especially when he fought at heavyweight, he fought awkward. Like, you never, it always looked like it hurt him more than, than you know, it hurt his opponent. But he was he was slick. He, he would get in there and, and land punches. And that's what uh, Cunningham, I mean, uh, I'm sorry, that's what Jennings di did. And, and the other thing was he was always in great shape, like Holyfield, you know. Um, when he lost to Ortiz, I was ringside. He's never been the same fighter. Now, they've been overprotecting him. But what I saw in the ring against a guy, and no disrespect to Joey Duedjko, and truthfully, Joey Duedjko has some some talent. I, I think if this guy would just go, you know, get down to 200 pounds and fight a cruiserweight, he would be way more successful. But that's neither here nor there. But Brian Jennings to me, Larry, you know, you were live, so you can give me a better handle. He seemed slow. He seemed... Not the same fighter. I mean, is this a result of the knockout, or is age catching up with him quickly? Well, I don't know. You know, we we don't disagree that often, but I, I beg to differ. I, I never really thought that much of Jennings as a heavyweight. Um, you know, on his way up, a guy named um, Gary Shaw had him for most of his career, and. Um, you know, at that time, he was fighting so-so guys. But as a heavyweight, I never really thought that much of Jennings. And now I even kind of think less because he just seems like he's seen his better days whenever he had them, okay? Um, Joey, like you say, you know, Joey has some skills, but Joey just kind of, you know, you're touching gloves at, at the beginning of each round, it was almost like Joey had reached a point where he agreed, you don't hurt me, and uh, I'll just, you know, I'll just fight like this. And Jennings, uh, to me, uh, he just, he just slow, methodical, um, and he's, he doesn't, he lacks excitement. I mean, you know, I can't see him competing against, legitimate heavyweights as as we saw against Ortiz and um, you know he won the fight but 
I don't know what the future holds for him as a heavyweight. I really, I'm really doubtful. Uh, but he, he looks slow, and it, it might be coming close to the, to the end for Jennings. You know, he kind of reminds me a little bit of um, Steve Cunningham, you know, state the kid who really trains hard. Um, he, you know, he gives you he gives you all that he has, you know. And what you see is what is what you're really gonna look forward to getting. I think in the future, what you saw Saturday, um, I don't see it getting any better than what you saw. Yeah. What I saw. Yeah, they'll, they'll, he'll probably get a pay, big payday, and that'll be the end for him. Uh, one other fight. Yeah. One other fight I wanted to ask you about um, was uh, the fight uh, on Saturday night. Josito Lopez uh, finally fighting in a weight class that he should. Uh, he, you know, this guy's uh, won against an un, undefeated Miguel Cruz, who looked like he had the skills. But he was in there with a pretty tough opponent in Lopez, who always comes to fight. My 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 point about this fight wasn't, uh, you know, the performance by either one. More so about the road to this fight. Miguel Cruz was undefeated, seventeen and zero, eleven knockouts. A uh, Puerto Rican fighter who, you know, seemingly has the skill set. And when you look at his resume. Never fought anyone of note in 17 fights. So what does he do? He he figures, well, let's get a name on our record. We'll fight this Josito Lopez. He's older. He's been in all these wars, et cetera, et cetera. We get a win. We'll get more value, blah, blah, blah. And the end comes, and it wasn't so. Miguel Cruz didn't win the fight. This is my point here, Larry, is that these young fighters who are being protected, overprotected in a way, in most cases, are being hurt because now Miguel Cruz, who's got a loss on his record, all of a sudden the powers that be devalue him because of the loss when really you could put point the finger at the fact that he wasn't tested earlier on against a tough opponent. I'm not saying that he should have fought Josito Lopez earlier, but I'm saying he should have fought a level of fighter in between his opponents that he's fought and Josito Lopez. What's your thoughts? Well, we talk, we, you know, we talk about that all the time, you know, where they want to protect these fighters coming up and how they actually um, don't realize how much they're hurting the development of the fighter, especially in the early stages of his career, by putting softies in front of them. And not only that, by not putting the type of fighters... You know, there are enough fighters out there. If you got a good matchmaker, a guy that really knows the game, someone who's been around, you know, you have to you have to put the competition in front of a fighter that's going to help him improve on his strong points. You know, every now and then you throw a softball in there, uh, someone who maybe doesn't have such a uh, strong punch, but we'll give him a different look. That'll help the kid um, learn how to adjust, change the strategy, and still improve on his overall skills. What what they what they seem to be doing, and I see it happening to a lot of young fighters. The focus is simply on getting the kid a win, building up the record, instead of focusing on 
building up the the kids' skills and their development, and that's where um, it's a it's a disservice to the fighter. And then all of a sudden, when he goes in against uh, someone uh, with not not even the greatest level of skills, but just taking him to another level, he can't adjust. So. Uh, until that changes, this is what we're going to see time and time again, and we talk about that all the time. That's not how you develop a fighter. You, know, you, you have to develop a fighter. You have to constantly move him gradually up the ladder, gradually. Put that competition in front of him that's going to test him, you know, and, and not focus on so much on keeping him undefeated. Because sometimes you can lose a fight or two and win at the same time because the the experience that you get and actually the guy that you lose to could really teach you something, teach you some valuable lessons for your next time out. So until, until trainers and managers and promoters, until they uh, accept that fact, we're going to constantly see this. It's a shame because, like you said, you know, fighters – do learn from their mistakes just like we do in you know, other assets uh, aspects of life you know so uh hey one last thing i wanted to ask you tyson fury uh getting back into the ring june 9th you know a guy never short on words uh but my my question is with the return of tyson fury do you think that he's gonna help the heavyweight division or hurt the heavyweight division, you know, because I, I pointed out earlier today, you know, no disrespect to Tyson Fury because he's actually a fighter that I followed, you know, since since he's been a pro and I liked. Uh, but the truth is, is he really didn't beat anybody aside from Klitschko. Is he going to make an impact? How, how's he going to what's the heavyweight division going to be like with Tyson Fury, in your opinion? Well, I mean, he I don't think he can hurt it. I don't think he can hurt it that much, okay? I mean, you're talking about a, a guy like Jermell Jer Miller fighting and being mentioned uh, along there with the, uh, the the bigger mix. Um, he did he did beat Klitschko, okay? Um, he hasn't fought, you know, he hasn't beaten anyone of note since then. But I don't think I think that. Um, he carries a, a, a certain mystique. He carries a certain mystique with him that I think he might even be an asset to the uh, heavyweight division right now. And he talks just enough trash to keep keep you wondering, you know. So I don't think he can hurt it. I, 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 I'm, I'm looking forward to him returning. Well, he's going to be returning in June, so uh, we'll get a good idea what, what, uh, what he does. So uh, anyway, Larry... Triple G fights this weekend. Uh, we will be talking about that next week, my man. Okay, buddy. All right, you have a good one, brother. Okay, enjoy some of that weather. I, I'm trying. I'm trying. That's for sure. Thanks, Larry. Okay. okay. That's a Boxing Hall of Famer, Larry Hazard, giving us uh, his thoughts and uh, opinions, and we'll be looking forward to him uh, next week after Triple G fights this weekend uh, against Vanis Motoroshian. And like I was just saying in one of the chat rooms, I hope that uh, Triple G is pissed about all the things that have happened uh, with the Canelo fight. And I hope he fights pissed because that's what I like when Triple G fights mad. 
Hey, listen, I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, this week's Blast from the Past is coming up. Alex Papali will join us this week. As per request, Vinny Pazienza. Don't go anywhere. Billy C will be right back. Part of the Billy C Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now. Or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to talking Boxing with Billy C. He may not have an excellence in broadcasting award, but the night's still young. And he's got martinis. So you never know what may be by morning. It's Talking Boxing with Billy C. Talking Boxing with Billy C. Now back to Billy, Billy C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And we're back. You're watching and listening to the Billy C. Show. Glad you could be with us today. Don't forget, uh, hang out with me on May 12th up at the Turning Stone Resort and Casino. Uh, Saddam Ali will be defending his uh, World Junior Middleweight title And I'm going to be ringside So hang out man Come on up to uh, the Turning Stone You'll love it Visit our website And click the fight poster BillyCBoxing.com Or just go to TurningStone.com And go to the box office And get yourself some tickets Just drop me an email Let me know where you're going to be And I'll try and look for you You know So you can buy me a scotch and stuff You know, 15 years we've been doing this show We're in our 15th year And 13 of those 15 we've been doing this next segment it's called the blast from the past and uh we give you uh a little history about uh, some fighters that fought yesteryear and it could be as uh soon as yesterday uh or it could be way far back like uh, bare knuckle fighters uh we've been doing uh requests we have a big request so if you have a request list so if you have a request for a blast from the past just drop me an email billy at talking Boxing, that's T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. This week's Blast from the Past, which was, as per request, features a former multi-division world champion, uh, a favorite fighter of mine. I got to see him many, many times because of where he fought. And uh, he's been on the show several times, and he's quite the character. Vinny Pazienza, or Paz, as he's legally known now. Joining us right now to tell us all about uh, the Paz man is uh, none other, none other, none other. I got to say it the right way. None other than uh, Alex Perpali. Good morning, Alex. Good morning, Billy C. How are you? Oh, I'm doing, uh, doing well. I'm doing well. How are you? I am doing very well. I was, that was wondering, a pretty funny clip, huh? You like that? Oh God, yeah, that was funny. You know, it's just funny how uh, I, you know, I just love Italians and the way they—they're a bunch of hams, all of them. You know, I like what he did with the shoe. He goes, yeah, "Oh no, give me the shoe, give me the watch, shoe. give me the." And he walks over and you see the guy hobbling out, like, "Okay, all right, give me my shoe back," you know. But uh, yeah, uh, I think it's easy to forget about Conan O'Brien now because he's on uh, TBS, but that little special where he visited Italy this year was just a riot. You know, that was uh, pretty wild how he was off of uh, those cappuccinos. <laughs> I know. <laughs> he was he getting... He did. He <laughs> did. And, and uh, you know, that other guy you wanted to just punch in the face. I, how about the look on the other guy's face when he says, can I have a pumpkin spice lit... Uh, lit uh, what is I it know. A latte? <laughs> you know, but uh, anyway. Vinny Pazienza. In, uh, in Naples, they don't bother mixing... Uh, 
pumpkins with their coffee. No, no. The look on the guy's face was, huh? What? But uh, Vinny Pazienza. I, I love Vinny, man. Yeah, he's definitely uh, somebody that um, is very beloved by the fans, that's for sure. And I think, you know, uh, a lot of people who might not have been uh, old enough to have seen him, um, you know, fight live uh, can get to see him on YouTube and also uh, had that movie uh, Bleed for This um, from, I think it was from two years ago now, uh, that was really uh, very entertaining and it was a... um, you know, there was a couple of historical inaccuracies in it, but um, overall, it was a really, uh, really enjoyable movie. And I, I tend not to like boxing movies, but that was a good one. I, I, I'm the same way. I don't, I don't like them. Um, I, I, I've watched my favorite one is Requiem of a Heavyweight, and I like Harder They Fall. And and the you know, I'll give the first Rocky. You know, but I never even cared to watch all the other ones. And and some of these newer ones I don't watch. Like the one with uh, about uh, Mickey Ward and Arturo Gotti was nowhere near. Oh, yeah. uh, no, neither. Uh, Mickey Ward never won a world title. You know, I mean, it doesn't take anything away from the trilogy, but Hollywood is Hollywood, you know. So, uh, right, but anyway, right. tell us about Vinny Paz. All right, Vinny Paz. So Vinny Pazienza, he was actually born Vincenzo Pazienza in Cranston, Rhode Island. I'm, tr- I'm going to try to do this with a little less paper shuffling. Right. Um, oh, you heard I, that? Did you go back and listen? I, I didn't. I, 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 I tend not to go back and listen because I, um, it f- makes me freeze up. I get self-conscious. But um, I, I was able to catch it. When you mentioned it, I was able to catch it because sometimes I can catch, like, little things on this mic and uh, I noticed what you meant. Um <laughs> But yeah, he was born December 16th, 1962. Uh, he's five foot seven and a half inches tall. And he fought at lightweight, uh, junior welterweight, junior middleweight, and super middleweight. And he won titles at lightweight, 135, junior middle, 154, and super middle, 168. Uh, he grew up in a middle class home in uh, East Providence, Rhode Island, uh, over on Waterman Avenue with his uh, mother Louise and his dad Angelo and uh, his father Angelo of course was really instrumental in his boxing career Um, he started boxing as an elementary school kid uh, and I think like uh, I think we caught Sal uh, confessing to it not too long ago uh, in just my own very limited uh, boxing um, you know love affair Uh, we did the same thing in my neighborhood if you're into boxing, uh, kids went down into their basement and and fought neighborhood other other neighborhood kids, and that's exactly what Vinny Paz did. He boxed in his basement uh, as a fourth grader. He invited um, the sixth grade uh, bully into his basement, and uh, he bloodied his nose, and um, was so shocked at what he did, he ran upstairs and down the street with the bully chasing him. Um, so he was doing peewee boxing from six to ten years old, and and then he sort of and it had been Muhammad Ali that uh, he saw that first inspired him, um, but then he sort of drifted away from boxing and got into you know dabbled in other sports uh, in um, in school from ages ten to fifteen, but then at at fifteen it just seemed to be meant to be because uh, he saw the movie Rocky. Um, and that touched something inside him, and he returned to boxing. And uh, as an amateur, you know, the rumors that everybody talked about was how 
just incredibly speedy he was and how elusive. I can remember, um, you know, just being first learning boxing at the New Haven Boys Club. Uh, and the coach there had um, seen uh, Paz in the amateurs. I guess he, because in New England, a lot of guys fight in the Holyoke Golden Gloves, and I'm pretty sure that's where uh, Paz, uh, you know, first won some regional amateur titles. And there was a rumor, I, I wasn't able to verify this, but there was a rumor back then that um, he was so elusive that he actually, in the amateurs, he actually won a round without throwing a punch, uh, just like Willie Pep. Now, I, I can't verify that. That's something if I ever met him, I'd love to ask him about that. But, um, yeah, he was a very speedy, uh, sort of a frenzied fighter. He was always in punching reins. He had really quick hands. The nickname he had, of course, was the Tasmanian Devil, which is a reference to the Warner Brothers character, the Tasmanian Devil, which, you know, if you've seen the cartoons, and I can't believe that that's... There's kids out there today that probably never saw those uh, those cartoons, but um, the Tasmanian Devil, uh, yeah, he was, um, you know, he's basically a whirlwind, and uh, that's how Paz used to fight. Yeah, well, that's what was made him so exciting. He, he threw punches and punches, and that's pretty much where that uh, Tasmanian Devil came from. He just threw so many punches. I never really, you know, it's funny that you mentioned that. Um, he won a round without throwing a punch. I, as as much of head movement that Vinny Paz had, and if you watch any of his fights, you see him. I mean, it was just instilled in him, most likely at such an early age. I mean, you know, as soon as the bell rang, he was like a like a chicken. You know, his head was bobbing up and down. You know, I mean, he was constantly moving his head, which I could see being elusive. But aside from that. You know, he did have a tendency to throw his, his punches from a wide angle, and, and I, I would think that he would have been more susceptible to being hit uh, than he was. I never really thought of him as a great defensive fighter, to be honest with you, Alex. I always looked at him as uh, an offensive threat and, and a guy with lots of heart and uh, a, a guy that uh, if he wasn't losing pints of blood during a fight, it just wasn't, he wasn't just, he just wasn't happy, you know, because uh, he was a bleeder and, uh, you know, there'd be more, there'd be more entertaining fights going on with the way he used to plead with referees, doctors in his corners not to stop fights uh, than uh, what was happening in the ring sometimes. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing that's amazing about him. His durability is really the stuff of legend, uh, but you could cut him. Uh, but you could, it didn't seem like you could hurt him. Uh, and even as we'll get to, even with, um, you know, uh, some of his medical uh, trials and tribulations, um, he would forego anesthesia. Uh, so the guy, I, I think there's something genetic, uh, though, because I was reading that um, at one point when he was a kid, his mom, uh, Louise Pazienza, was, went food shopping and was, you know, doing the grocery shopping. And I guess she fell down. She gathered up her groceries and came home and, you know, brought struggled to get everything in the house, put all the groceries away. And it was only at that moment that she said, you know what, there's something wrong with my knee. And it was broken in three places. So, you know, that's there's some kind of genetic toughness, I think, uh, when you have um, a mom like that. You know, I'll tell a quick story about Vinnie Paz. You know, I've I've 
you know, uh, met him several times. We, we've we've hung out a little bit. He's been on the show. And one time he was telling me this story. We they call him the vampire because when I used to do the show at between what was it five and seven a.m. We got Vinny on. Everybody said, "Oh my God, you're getting him on. You're getting him on that early." Geez, he usually doesn't wake up till till two or three in the afternoon. I said, "I know." <laughs> we caught him on his way home. He was he was uh, just getting home at five a.m. That was the only reason they call him the vampire. But anyway, um, Vinny was telling me the story. This was after his career, and um, prior to uh, that, the new movie that you had mentioned that came out, I believe for this. There was another movie that was put out uh, on Vinnie Pazienza, and it was didn't get the rec- uh, recognition, and I, I th- think there was a book as well. It was a CD or something, some, something that Vinnie put out on his own. And what it was, and I actually have a copy of it, what it was was unknown to Vinnie. His mom, okay, now both his parents had passed away, um, you know, after his career and, and between the time he was telling me this story. So they were both gone when he was telling me the story. Apparently, Vinny, when he was going through the house, um, was up in the attic, and he found video of every single fight that he was in that, you know, either was on TV or his mom somehow got video of the fight, never told Vinny that she had these because she acted like she didn't want anything to do with the fight. She wouldn't watch him. She wouldn't go ringside. She was never there. And uh, Vinny said, you know, one of the biggest surprises I ever got was finding that box of all his fights on video that his mom did. And I thought that was kind of a, I thought it was a great story because here he, he legitimately didn't know. And she was so adamant about not wanting to be present, but here she was at home watching him on TV, recording him. You know what I mean? That is wild. Yeah, that's a nice little treasure that you found. Find uh, that he must have found. Um, boy, yeah, I'd love to see that sometime. That sounds really cool. Yeah, he said. Yeah, you know, it. it's it's weird because when he when he returned from the uh, the um, broken back, broken neck, um, that fight was on uh, was against Luis Santana, and it was I, it looks like it was a Tuesday night fight. Uh, it was on a Fox. It was I believe it was the first. He, he opened the Fox Theater at Foxwoods. It was December 15th, 1992. Uh, Carl Daniels was on the card. The schoolboy Darren Van Horn and David Tua. And uh, unfortunately, that fight is not on YouTube, which I was a little surprised because so much um, from the uh, USA Network um, fight days is on YouTube. Uh, but yeah, just to, um, I mean, one of his, uh, the stuff of legend in terms of, uh, it, uh, or highlight real moments from his career was, uh, and this is a, cl- this is a little bit I'm, I want to read from uh, Phil Berger article. Phil Berger was a New York Times boxing writer who was one of my favorites in the 80s. And I just like this. Uh, against Melvin Paul in November 1985, Pazienza whirled his right arm around and around, and when it stopped, he had landed on Paul's jaw, a knockout blow that became a television highlight against Pazienza's first big-time opponent. If you're boxing, if you're a boxing fan, if you watch the sport for a while, you've probably seen this clip because it is amazing where he just does a little boom and and it is scores the knockout blow it's awesome um but yeah he uh of course oh well the other thing that i did want to mention that's worth 
you know, mining the YouTube boxing mine there is um, he, even though he's not in the Hall of Fame yet, uh, and maybe he will, maybe he won't, he has been on the ballot. Um, I'm not sure, uh, you know, my opinion that he should go, should get in, but um, he does have something that a lot of guys today do not have, and that's uh, he competed in two 15 rounders. Uh, he split 15 rounders. They actually fought three times, but the third time was a 10 rounder. Uh, he he beat Greg Haugen the first time in a fifth round, fifteen rounder, which is a great bad blood fight. If people want to watch, um, it was it, the rivalry of the two of them. That was one of the things about Paz is that um, he did have some really great rivalries with several um, of his opponents. And uh, if you just want to see. Uh, probably one of the best stare downs in boxing history. It's the first Paz Haugen fight. They are just too, there's just so much attitude in that ring. It is just two ballsy white boys. And uh, it was June 7, 1987. Um, and it's it's got to be one of the best stare downs in boxing history. Um, but of course they did, like I said, that they, they, they fought three times. Paz won two and Haugen won uh, one and um, they, uh, you know, were just well matched. The two of them, uh, Paz was the flashy guy, and Haugen was more the gritty, tough guy. And let me tell you something: they still don't like each other because uh, that has come up to me when we were having some events. We we're trying to get Vinny. Greg was supposed to come to one, and uh, it didn't. But you talk about Hall of Fame. And, you know, as I was preparing for this segment, I, I, I can't understand why he's not in the Hall of Fame. I, I You know, there's no rhyme or reason anymore. I've, we, you know, we thought, I, I following your lead, Alex, I thought we kind of had the Hall of Fame under control, knowing, okay, you got to beat fellow Hall of Famers in this day and age to get in. And apparently that's not the case because Vinny Pazienza has beaten Hall of Famers. He's lost and fought several others, but he has beaten some. Um, but some of the fights that maybe were not against Hall of Famers, but were against significant opponents during the time, have to be credited. And you mentioned one right off the bat. Melvin Paul was a big name in the division in 1985 when they fought. Harry Arorio was a champion um, you know, in the lightweight division, a, a guy that Boom Boom Mancini both lived in the same town, so to speak, or close to it, each had titles and never fought each other. So there was another big win for him. He did lose to Roger Mayweather and Hector Camacho, uh, you know, uh, two known names, but the Greg Haugen, uh, Gilbert Deal, uh, Lloyd Honeygan, I mean, a guy who beat um, you know, a, a guy who beat, uh, uh, what's his name, uh, who I think should be in uh, the Cobra. Uh, Donald Curry. Yeah, Donald Curry in, in a great fight. And, and uh, you know, uh, Vinny Pezienza knocks him out. Robbie Sims was another real fight. These are real fighters. Duran, of course, was uh, 100 years old, but still 92-9 and nine when he fought him for, for a title. Uh, he did fight and lose to Roy Jones Jr. and and uh, lost to Harold Graham. He fought Glenwood Brown. I mean, the, the names are Eric Luca. Um, but you talk about rivalries, and you mention um, you mention Greg Haugen. Well, when you talk about Vinny Pazienza and you talk about rivalries, 
Dana Rosenblatt's name can't be <laughs> removed because those guys couldn't even do a broadcast together. I remember they were uh, Jimmy Birchfield was doing some kind of broadcast, and Dana Rosenblatt was was one of the guys, and they wanted to bring Vinny in as an analyst, and those two guys wouldn't even work together in a broadcast. I mean, that's how bad it was. Tell us about that rivalry. Yeah, him and Dana Roosevelt just did not get along at all. And uh, that is a brutal, one of the most brutal knockouts of his career. Uh, it's just vicious. Um, the first fight with Dana Rosenblatt, he stops him. And um, I was at, I was ringside, uh, my brother and I and, and a bunch of friends for the uh, the second fight with Ray Rosenblatt, which was a lot more um, strategic. Uh, but yeah, those two guys just disliked each other. Uh, it, I mean, that was one of the things you got with Paz was that at a lot of, you know, pre-fight um, press conferences or weigh-ins, there would be, uh, you know, a little static. So he was fun to watch that he brought this uh, wrestling uh, WWE type quality to some of his uh, to his promotions because he was such a um, kind of frenzied guy. He's the Pasmanian Devil, right? right? <laughs> exactly. That's the best way <laughs> but, to describe. I mean, it. I'm pretty sure. I think there was uh, Kevin Rooney got punched in the head by um, Hector Camacho at one of their press conferences i believe and there was dust up dust ups uh at some of the other ones but you're right in terms of hall of fame opponents we have seen lesser records with other guys who did get in uh the only guys i i see on his record were roy jones roberta duran and hector camacho were the three guys who were in the hall of fame well roy isn't yet but he will be um and he was 0-1 against Roy, of course, and he was destroyed against Roy Jones. He was 0-1 against Camacho, and that was a fight where Camacho really redefined himself and surprised a lot of people how good he looked. Um, but he has two wins over Duran. Um, that was one of the things that's weird about, um, I, I think that's sort of fascinating about Paz is that, um, and I think what you and you and Sal were talking about earlier, it does make you wonder about weigh-ins because supposedly, even as a lightweight, um, Vinny Paz walked around at 160 and then would dry out um, in this just Herculean effort to make 135. And eventually that did catch up to him almost fatally um, when he lost to Roger Mayweather. Uh, he was in the hospital after that with uh, severe dehydration, and I'm pretty sure that is in the movie um, because uh, that was a fight he lost and and just the effort uh, and everything of both making the weight as well as the fight itself, you know, nearly killed him. But it was what, you know, uh, we'll get to the accident here. The, um, the, heaven, the thing about Vinny Paz is that you could cut him, but you couldn't knock him out. Um, and it's he insists that he even the head in head on collision, he didn't lose consciousness. Um, after he had fought Gilbert Delay, um, he uh, was traveling um, with a friend uh, in his friend uh, uh, Kurt Reeder's uh, Camaro, and uh, they it was in November of 19, 1991. And uh, they skidded in wet weather. Uh, they had a head-on head collision. They had to pry Paz out of the car. Um, 
his uh, C4, C5, and C3 vertebrae were affected. One was dislocated. Two of them were cracked. And, of course, you know, he broke his nose about 100 times in boxing. So why not? He broke his nose also in the head-on collision. You're going to have a head-on collision. You might as well break your nose. Um, and uh, they said to him, you know, you're never going to fight again. This is it. But um, as you could see on his record, uh, it's about a year Um and it's covered very much in the uh, in the movie, of course. But uh, not only did uh, you know they thought he might not walk again. Not only did he walk again, but he fought again. Yeah, that, that is an unbelievable story. I remember when he entered the ring, uh, and they showed all of the, the footage of him with the halo and everything else. You said to yourself, "Man, this guy's nuts." And then he fought on. As a matter of fact, I was lucky. I got to see a lot of his fights because uh, of where he fought. And the fact that Jimmy Birchfield and, and uh, Classic Entertainment Sports uh, promoted him. But the, the, I, the last three professional fights of his career, I was ringside for all three of them. Um, and the thing was, was that 50 wins meant so much to him. The Eric Lucas fight, which was actually a world title shot, uh, he thought he was going to get his 50th win. He did take, uh, you know, two years off, and then uh, his last professional fight, a 10-round decision over Tucker Pudwell, uh, was his uh, actual 50th win, and he retired for good. It was a number that he wanted to reach, and he did. Um, we're out of time here, so tell us, uh, how did he do with the title belt championship computer game? He did exceptionally well. Uh, I'm a little I, – I, I have a few problems with this, but I'll, I'll let you guys decide. Um, I put him in against the places where, you know, against the guys uh, in the um, TBRB rankings who uh, are in the divisions he won titles. So at lightweight was Mikey Garcia. At 154, it was against Jared Hurd, Jared Hurd and against um, at 168 against George Groves. Against Mikey Garcia, the first time they fight, Mikey Garcia wins on cuts, uh, TKO, uh, after before the 11th round they stopped it in the corner and Garcia was down in round eight but he was ahead on card way ahead in cards when the fight was stopped uh when they fight a hundred times Pazienza gets the better of him uh he wins 72 loses 24 and they have four draws uh Paz stopped Garcia 39 times out of his 24 victories Garcia had 11 KOs uh when he fought Jared Hurd the first time he beat him by unanimous decision. Uh, the scores were 117-107, 116-108, 118-106. 116-108, Paz had heard down in uh, three times. He had him in the down in the, the first, the ninth, and the twelfth. When they fight a hundred times, Paz wins big. Ninety-three victories, six defeats, one draw. He scored thirty-seven KOs uh, out of his six wins. Jarrett Hurd scored three knockouts. And when he fights uh, George Groves, I was surprised by this. The first time they fight, Vinny Paz stopped him in two. Uh, one minute and 16 seconds of the second round, uh, KO2 for Vinny Paz. When they fight 100 times, uh, he really mops the floor with George Groves. He wins 94, loses only six. He stops Groves 69 times. In his six wins, George Groves scored two KOs. Wow. I guess, uh, according to that, he should be uh, Hall of Fame with uh, without much of a problem, don't you think? Yeah, and and I think maybe the 
title bout game doesn't think much of Jared Hurd or George Groves. <laughs> well, Jared Hurd, Jared I mean, the, the, the equalizer with this guy is how big he is. I mean, he's just a monster, uh, you know, for that weight class, and I think that makes the difference. But uh, great job as usual, Alex. Vinny Pazienza, Vinny Paz, as he's uh, known now, uh, legally. Uh, and his home. drink of choice, I should mention, is Asti Spumanti. I, you know, I remember even was, even in, that, in 2013, yeah. which uh, was mentioned in an article in the Providence Journal. I didn't know anybody drank that. But can I you can still remember get as it? A kid, the commercial. Yeah, that was there. that was that was like big in the 70s. He wasn't even old enough yeah. to drink it. Was big, but uh, Vinny Paz. Uh, former uh, world lightweight, junior middleweight, and super middleweight champion. Uh, he had a career record of 50 wins, 30 by knockout, 10 losses in which he was only stopped three times, mostly on cuts. Uh, he fought 460 rounds as a professional. Uh, Vinny Pazienza, our uh, blast from the past today. Alex, great job as usual. We'll look forward to you later in the week for your thoughts on the uh, Triple G fight. Awesome. Sounds great. All right, my man. Have a good one. All right, Billy. See you, too. That's uh, Alex Papali giving us uh, a great uh, job on Vinny Paz, one of my favorite fighters. Hey, listen, I'm going to take a short break. When we come back, we're scheduled to have uh, my man uh, Sal join us again. Don't go anywhere. Billy C. will be right back. Part of the Billy C. Boxing Network. Check out BillyCBoxing.com now or feel the wrath of the mighty mustache. Oh, that hurts. Why are you doing that to my face? I hate you. I hate you. That's BillyCBoxing.com. Consider this your warning. Now back to Billy, Billy C. C. Interact with the show at BillyCBoxing.com. And where? Back, you're watching and listening to the Billy C Show. Glad you could be with us. And uh, back with us now is uh, my man uh, Sal Rocky Senecola. And Sal, before we uh, get to the next point here, um, we just did a blast from the past on uh, my man uh, Vinny Paz. And and I know you uh, know Vinny very well. You guys uh, trained together. And uh, what was your thoughts on on Vinny Pazienza as a fighter? And should he be in the Hall of Fame? Well, I love Vinny, and and I'll tell you what, Vinny, Vinny as a fighter, uh, I'll, I'll, I'm going to say something right now. Vinny and I sparred hundreds and hundreds of rounds, and uh, we were both coming up together uh, with main events and Lou Duva, and Lou had a beautiful training camp for us at the old Playboy uh, Resort in the uh, McAfee Mountains in New Jersey. It was called actually the Americana at the time, the Americana Resort, and that was a great training camp. And Vinny and I would often have uh, opportunities there to spar with, with Roberto Duran, who was one of the other uh, training camp uh, uh, fighters there that would come there. And uh, that's the first time I think Vinny sparred with Duran and uh, did a good job. And I was a better fighter after sparring with Vinny for a multitude of times. I mean, hundreds of times we, we would spar. And Vinny had a way with his style of fighting. He was very fast. And he was always uh, moving his head, moving side to side. And, you know, it, it, it was something that, that I would have to counter and learn and to adapt to to, uh, to to get the best of or to try and compete on that level. And, and it was good. It was great. It made me a better fighter sparring with him. And Vinny um, had a very good career. In fact, both of us, 
we were undefeated coming up, and we fought on a lot of the uh, main event cards together. Um, and uh, they would tell us the newspapers, and especially in Patterson. I think uh, Joe Tresari was uh, was one of the writers there, and uh, sports. And Joe uh, took a liking to Vinny and and, and myself. And uh, I think he was the original guy that dubbed us or coined us the Bruise Brothers. And uh, there are many photos. In fact, I should have brought one today from my pizzeria that hang on my wall with Vinny and I, like the Blues Brothers with uh, old uh, John Belushi and uh, Dan Aykroyd or whoever it was, Bill Murray. And uh, so Vinny and I would have our glasses on and we'd be out after gym training and we'd be side by side and we were known as the Blues Brothers. The papers would tell us as the Blues Brothers fight again. So. Vinny, I know very well. I've been up to Cranston, uh, and uh, he's been down at Jersey. Uh, he's a great fighter, great man. Uh, I love Vinny. Uh, in fact, I sent him a text message last night, and uh, I think that Vinny should be in the Boxing Hall of Fame. I mean, he's beaten some great guys. Uh, he's been in some wars. And Alex made a good point that he was uh, one of the last fighters that would fought uh, 15 rounds that are – you know, uh, still uh, still could say that they fought 15 rounds. So uh, my hat's off to Vinny. Vinny belongs in the International Boxing Hall of Fame, and uh, I'd like to be there the day he gets inducted. So uh, I love Vinny Pazienza. He was a tremendous fighter, uh, heck of a character. I mean, we always had fun times. In training camp, I told a story one time around here. We would be in the same room at the, at the Americana. We were roommates and at the training camp, and we would run the parameter of the golf country club at, at great gorge and we would be chasing the geese the, the canadian geese and the ducks and all these mallards and and uh we that was our that was our that was our impression or emulation of uh rocky uh when he gotta chase the chicken you gotta catch that chicken you'll be grease lightning and so Vinny and, <laughs> and i would be all over the golf course tackling these poor birds <laughs> and, and diving after them you know but uh so we, we had a lot of good times. We cut it up quite a bit. He was a jokester, a character. And uh, when you can make it light and make it fun, uh, we enjoyed it. And, yes, there were plenty of ladies around that uh, that time. He was a big fan of the ladies as, as I was in a sense. And uh, uh, so uh, we, uh, we, we enjoyed it. It was a good rain to, to run with Vinny at that time. He still loves him. He's a great guy. And, <laughs> so do I. He's a great guy, but uh, no doubt about it. And, and you're right. Boxing doesn't have the characters that it once had, and and you know it had right. characters way way past. I mean, I mean the eighties to me. I know it was thirty years ago, but to eight the eighties to me doesn't seem like it was as long ago as it really was. No. But when when you think even beyond that, the fifties, the forties, the thirties, the twenties. I mean, there were so many characters today. You know, you could you can make an argument. You know, uh, Floyd Mayweather character uh, to a degree, but but not the same. You know, the, the the types of characters we have today are either becoming characters in a way because of their outside the ring antics or or the way they are. Uh, you know, with their mouth running, their lips and stuff like that. Um, you know, it's different. It's different. We don't have the Vinny Pazienzas, and uh, it's a shame. Uh, the last great character, in my opinion, in the sport of boxing was Mike Tyson. You know, um, yeah. you know, you could make an argument that, that Deontay and AJ are forming 
um, you know, personalities, uh, persona uh, outside yeah, uh, right now. That. Deontay Wilder more for a negative because of his, uh, you know, antics, uh, pounding his chest, saying he's the best, but people recognize that. Anthony Joshua, the anti-Deontay Wilder, he's more reserved, more um, professional, it seems, uh, more polished, but still. Uh, nowhere near of any Pazienza or Roberto Duran or Mike Tyson or even Sugar Ray Leonard, you know. So yeah, we're we're missing those uh, big time. Um, the yesterday, uh, one of the things I wanted to talk about, we didn't get a chance to, so I said we we're going to talk about it today. Was that the WBC? Now, the WBC is is a sanctioning body. And they're not different than, than any other sanctioning body. The other sanctioning bodies all feel that they are the sport of boxing. And the WBC is no different. As a matter of fact, the WBC takes it a step further. I mean, they, you know, they, they, they're blind to any other fighter other than their own fighters. Um, you know, all sanctioning bodies are like that. But the WBC was first and, you know, having the Clean Boxing Act and blah, 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 you know. Uh, they're doing this tournament and everything else. Well, um, over the weekend, they issued nutritional tips. Uh, Dr. Philip Goglia, uh, who has got the title of WBC Nutrition Committee Chairman, um, listed 10 nutritional tips that will make everyone, not just fighters, uh, live better, and be healthier. So I wanted to share these with you, Sal. <laughs> I can't wait to hear right? it, boy. That's great. I'll this, tell you. this is the WBC. And and, and Dr. Philip uh, Goglia, uh, who's the committee chairman, uh, must be a very knowledgeable person. And uh, this doctor has put together the top 10 nutrition tips that everyone should follow. So number one, do not skip meals. That's a nutritional tip. Do not skip meals, okay. um, which just makes a lot of sense. I've heard I've heard a lot of uh, uh, stuff on that and uh, how important it is. And um, no nobody uh, put it to me better than a nutritionist that I uh, knew and and uh, explained to me uh, how your system works, your metabolism. You, if you eat when you wake up, it, it starts. It's like a furnace. You start a fire, and then you got to feed that fire. Uh, with uh, with food all day long, and it's that's true. how you burn stuff. And, and and it worked for me. He says the second uh, tip is always try to eat in order. Now, I don't know. You can interpret that a couple of different ways. I mean, uh, you does that mean that you eat breakfast first, lunch second, and dinner third, or could you mix it up and have dinner first and lunch second? Or does that or mean your vegetables first? I was just gonna say. Or does that yeah. mean? Or does that mean <laughs> eat, eat your vegetables first and save your meat? I mean, I'm a guy who loves to mix my stuff together. I mean, yeah, I, me I mean, you put a stew, or I used to put all my food together and put it in a pile and just chomp away. Right. So, I mean, there's a million ways to eat. But, Eating is entertainment. Hey, <laughs> listen. You you put mashed potatoes on my plate, and whatever Forget else is on my it. plate is mixed in with the mashed potatoes. I love it, you know. So so I'm already failing this these top ten tips. Um, the number three is consume the correct amount of water. You know, it, you know when you, you're going to put out a nutritional list that people should follow, you should actually be a little more specific. So consume the correct amount of water. Gosh, I wish I knew what that number was. How much is the correct amount of water? But nonetheless, probably sixteen ounces. They say eight, eight, uh, eight, eight ounce glasses. I think a day. But uh, 
number four, don't Eat let it. yourself. This is a good one. Now, now I, I, I'm sure Doctor Philip Gogaglia um, really, uh, you know, uh, is a is a very educated uh, person, and and you can tell uh, how much thought and importance have gone into these ten top ten things. Um, number four is an important uh, uh, nutritional tip. Uh, don't let yourself get hungry. Don't let yourself get hungry. Um, number five is remember that protein repairs muscle and carbohydrates provide the energy source. That's so true. people, you know, I, I would, you would read old-time uh, fighters, oh, I had a piece of steak before, blah, blah, blah. Uh, really, uh, they were didn't know. You know, the meat was, was good, but the energy source was the plate of pasta that they had. But uh, uh, number six is there are no fats in carbohydrates. Fat is found in protein. So there's no fat in a spaghetti, but there is fat in the steak. So it's true. Uh, stay away from yeast, mold, gluten, diary, uh, dairy, <laughs> diary, dairy. So uh, uh, breads and dairy. Stay away from no cheesecake. Oh God! No pizza? Uh, number number eight. Use dry seasonings and rubs to create different flavors. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> uh, now, now, wait, wait. This should just be nutritional value, not 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 tastes. This, <laughs> this, I know. Uh, that's what I'm saying. And this is the WBC actually published this, as you know, trying okay. to separate I mean, themselves. Pretty close. I, 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 there's some good tips there. Like I said, I'm a student of Dr. Robert Haas. Eat to win. Yeah, but and, but uh, Sal, a lot of these things are just rhetoric. Uh, yeah, a lot of it, a lot of it's theory. I want more substance. I want more facts. You know. Wait, let's, you know. Let's hey, get the, hey, don't forget. Hey, don't don't forget. Hey, that meal. Hey, that meal rubs me the wrong way. Hey, hey, don't forget. Number two, always eat in order. Damn, I oh, wish he meant. What order do I order. eat? It's like scoring. It's like scoring about always scoring the criteria in the right order. What is the right order? You know. But uh, uh, anyway, number nine, do not rely on vitamins to fill a nutritional gap. Vitamins won't fix a pizza. <laughs> so, wait, wait, they, he says stay away from gluten. I know, I know. No. What is he talking about? They're now? saying they're saying if you I think the way I interpret it is if you eat a pizza don't throw down a few vitamins to supplement the vites you didn't get with the pizza. I don't know. I already I always do every day. I take my dailies. And and listen to this. This this one is a little wait. confusing I to do. Wait. This is 10, number 10. Consume protein and vegetables only for dinner. Okay. Consume All right. protein and vegetables only for dinner. Does that mean that you have meat and vegetables only for dinner? No starch or no, that's what exactly what it means, Bill. No breads, no starch, no no heavy carbohydrates of uh of that source and vegetables and meat. I mean I, I can understand and uh you know, you want to have the protein, maybe, and the and the, the vegetables to to help your digestion, and the protein to rebuild uh, the 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 tissue, the muscle tissue that uh, you expended and and burnt out and tore uh, during training. So, I could see that protein meal coming to play at the end of the night. Uh, one thing I was really surprised uh, about this list: what they don't eat any beef. 
There's no Mexican beef on this list. What's up with that, man? No Mexican beef. I guess I guess they they want you to stay away from that, huh? Steroids. You know, this Mexican meat. You know, might have some tainted tainted meat. I don't know. I know. Well, may may. But may uh, interesting. Uh, interesting. Tell you what. I, I, on the whole, on the overview, it's not a bad recommendation. I mean, I, I he was right on on some points. Uh, but like I said, yeah, I, was, I was a big fan of uh, uh, a book that I uh, that Sal. I live the Bible by, of of eating. Sal, it's kind of vague. I mean, usually when you hear when you hear well, nutritional vague. tips, well, listen. Usually when you hear nutritional tips, you might hear something along the lines of, uh, like number one, do not skip meals. Maybe they say it's worded differently, like always eat three meals a day, you know, make sure you have breakfast, lunch, and dinner, whatever. Always try to eat in order. Uh, that needs to be clarified because, you know, I might want to mix it up and have a uh, meatloaf dinner for breakfast and, and have an egg sandwich for dinner. I don't know. You know, uh, consume the right amount no of water. No for dinner, Bill. You can't have a sandwich. Well, the, what they say, that's right. They say, you know, consume the correct amount of water. Well, they should have put how much water you should say. Don't let yourself get hungry. They should have explained a little better like you know if you're eat a, like you said eat a lot of different meals I, I i don't know i don't know um anyway this is the wbc again trying to uh uh keep themselves uh, separate but uh um coming up uh tomorrow don't forget that we have um our uh, super chat thursday so we would appreciate uh, your uh, interaction, all you guys that are uh, watching. If you don't know what Super Chat is, go on up to our YouTube uh, channel and, and check it out. It's youtube.com slash talking, T-A-L-K-I-N, boxing, B-O-X-I-N-G. And uh, make sure you subscribe to the YouTube channel and uh, check the box that says you want to be alerted. Then this way, every time we go live, you'll get a, a, a notification that the show is on and you can either record it or watch it or whatever. But, uh, but the Super Chat Thursday, you uh, make a comment. We read it on the air. You have a question, whatever. Uh, so uh, help us out. Plus, it helps the show. So uh, Super Chat Thursdays tomorrow. Um, we will be uh, talking about the uh, fights this weekend. It's kind of a slow weekend, but there are... There's the major fight. Triple G is fighting this weekend against Vanis Martiroshian. We'll break down and give you our predictions later in the week. And also the biggest fraud in boxing, uh, David Hay. David Hay. Uh, I know Jarrell Miller I've referred to as a fraud. Uh, but David Hay, I think, is the biggest uh, fraud. He's uh, got his rematch with Tony Bellew. Uh, let's just hope he doesn't fall down a flight of stairs uh, between now and uh, Saturday. But, um, you know, I'm not anticipating... Uh, an interesting fight at all. Uh, David Hay is, uh, well, we'll break it down uh, later in the week, but uh, uh, in any event, still haven't heard anything about the uh, potential showdown between uh, AJ and, and Deontay Wilder. Uh, the time is uh, pretty much up. Uh, I know uh, by Saturday, uh, the uh, free negotiation period for the mandatory for Anthony Joshua's WBA portion of his collection of belts uh, is due and uh, that man is Alexander Povetkin so if they don't come up with a deal between now and Saturday which doesn't seem likely since uh, team uh, uh, AJ seems to be focusing on Deontay Wilder um, that means it's going to go to purse bid and then you can pretty much count on that fight taking place between 
AJ and Alexander Povetkin sometime over the summer in Russia or maybe the fall. I don't know. And uh, I just I, I'm keeping hoping I'm keeping up hope, Sal, that Me you're too, right, Bill. I got to keep the faith, man. Well, or I'm going to start drinking a fifth. Well, I'm I'm uh, I'm, I'm keeping <laughs> yeah, hope and faith that dope. you were right and I was wrong that they will fight this year. But I'm fastly I'm approaching so. uh, me being right that they not only won't fight this year, that they probably won't fight till the end of next year, if that. I, I, I wouldn't be surprised if these two never fight. I, I, I really wouldn't. I wouldn't be surprised. I think it would be a travesty, but I wouldn't be surprised. But uh, anyway, um, it's a possibility, so. It is a possibility. It would be very disappointing because, as we said uh, earlier in how we talked about this fight now for – probably two years or a year but uh you know this this is a fight that would be good for boxing it would be good on so many levels and uh to know that there are other entities that are preventing this fight to happen uh is what's disheartening about the sport and hopefully like i assumed or say and wish for every day that uh they're already knocking it out behind closed doors and, you know, without giving us, you know, any of the privy to uh, to know what's happening. And we're just going to hear it in the next 24 hours or so. Bingo. Here, we got the fight. Here's well, that, what's happening. We're going to see it. But that's the most disheartening part of this whole thing is the fact that apparently Team Wilder has not even – they've canceled their meetings with, with uh, uh, Hearn and – they're not communicating. This is uh, multiple reports say that they're not, that they, they were stuck on the fact that Anthony Joshua needed to accept first before they came up with a contract, which is, which is the most ridiculous thing I've ever heard. He's already said through a tweet that let's roll, let's do it. You know, I, so I don't know what they mean by accepting, but that's neither here nor there. Let's get into our trivia question. Yes. Um, our trivia question is the same one as yesterday because nobody's got it correct answered so um, if uh, if you're the first one to email me the correct answer Billy at Talkin Boxing that's T-A-L-K-I-N B-O-X-I-N-G dot com you'll win your very own copy of the title bout championship computer game so I'm going to read this question one time then I'm going to read it again with a hint all right, because I want to give another copy of this game away. Same game Alex used for our blast from the past on Vinny Paz today. Um, the uh, question is, I once stopped the undefeated record of a fighter. Then a week later, I beat his brother. I once stopped the undefeated record of a fighter. Then a week later, I beat his brother. Who am I? If you're the first one to email me, Billy at Talking. Boxing, T-A-L-K-I-N-B-O-X-I-N-G.com. You'll win your very own copy of the Title Bout Championship computer game. I'm going to read it one more time with a big hint, a big, 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 big hint. I once stopped the undefeated record of a fighter. Then a week later, I beat his brother. Who am I? The big, 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 big hint is this guy's name. His initials are T. C, T, C. So if you're the if you're the (laughs) top cat, I used to love that. If you're the first one to uh, email me the correct answer, you'll win the prize. Billy at Talking Boxing, T A L K I N B O X I N G dot com. On this day in boxing history, May second, 
1998, Haseen Sharifi wins a 12-round decision over Keith Holmes to win the WBC World middle, uh, Middleweight title, and that took place in France. On this day in 1989, Mugachai Kitasiman wins a 12-round decision over Tacey Magolas to win the IBF World Junior Flyweight title that took place in Bangkok. On this day in 1924, Young Stribling wins a 10-round decision over Tommy Burns in their fight that took place in Toronto, Canada in 1924. On this day in 1947, Sandy Sadler knocks out Joe Brown in two rounds of their scheduled 10-round Bantamweight fight. Uh, I'm sorry, 10-round uh, fight in New Orleans. wasn't Bantamweight. And finally, on this day, May 2nd, uh, in 1903, Stanley Ketchell makes his pro debut with a first-round knockout of Kid Tracy in Butte, Montana. Ketchell would go on to win the world middleweight title and was at the top of his game when he was shot on October 15th in 1920 at, uh, 1910 at 24 years old. He had a career record of 51 wins, 48 by knockout. Two losses, one was against Jack Johnson, and he had four draws. He was inducted into the International Boxing Hall of Fame in 1990. Hey, boys and girls, we're way over our time. Make sure you tune in tomorrow morning, same bad time, same bad channel. Until then, I'll leave you with this. Ciao, baby. Da na 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 na